You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Such a good word um, from Emily. And can you give it up for our worship team as well? So, so, so blessed. So nice. My name is Cody Sykes. I'm the campus pastor. And we just want to say welcome to Renew Life Church. If you're a first-time guest, church family, can we welcome our first-time guest? Thank you so much for visiting. So welcome here. Uh, We do this every Sunday. This is our church family. This is what it looks like the majority of the time. And uh, we just gladly welcome you with open arms into it. So... um, Yeah, I'm excited about the word today. I'm excited about what God is doing. And uh, before I go too far, I want to share just a a cool little testimony, kind of uh, different than what we would normally share in terms of like a healing or something like that, but just equally profound in my opinion. So last week, if you were here, Mandy Richardson, one of our home church pastors, preached an incredible message. It was super awesome. Uh, She did a really, really great job. And uh, every Sunday, we've got a prayer team of people that are just they're, they're in prayer for the services, they're in prayer for you. Uh, they come in, they lay hands on chairs, they, they're praying, they're pleading the blood of Jesus over the room, they're preparing the atmosphere basically for when you walk through the, when you walk through the doors that you would be met with, met by God and, and met with his grace and his love. And so uh, last Sunday, like every Sunday, I get a text message, but I didn't see it this, this last Sunday. And it was, hey, do you have anything that you should that you would like for us to be praying into, any direction for the day. And I, I missed the text message. I didn't see it till after the first service had started. And so I, once I saw it, I just was like, it's, it's too late into the service to respond. I'm not gonna bother them right now, so we'll just let it ride. First service uh, goes and comes. Second service goes and comes. And then Neil walks up to me uh, right over here after the second service, and he goes, I have to share something really cool. This morning, Kendra, one of our prayer leaders, she felt that we were supposed to pray against a religious spirit that says that the woman should be silenced and doesn't have the ability or the privilege to speak from the platform on a Sunday morning. The cool thing is they had no idea that Mandy was preaching last Sunday morning. And so I just love the Holy Spirit's way of going about things. And so I I really wanted to testify of this. Uh, When you hear something and you feel like it's abstract and it's out of this world and it doesn't make sense to anyone and so you should just dismiss it, don't dismiss it. Begin to pray and begin to settle on agreeing with the Spirit if the Spirit is showing it to you because you might be praying and releasing someone else's freedom in the room. And that's exactly what happened last week. I believe that prayer paved the way for Mandy to deliver what she delivered and for for it to land the way that it landed. And it came from people that were just willing to listen to the Holy Spirit on the inside, not dismiss something that seemed abnormal, but to actually say, Lord, this could be you, so we're gonna join our faith faith with you and see what God does uh, to this room. And so I just want to encourage you, when you walk into this room and you begin to feel things, don't dismiss them instantly. If you walk in and you start feeling something, some resistance, maybe you start feeling uh, just that, that there's a, a cloud or maybe you feel just a crazy amount of joy, begin to press in and pray for that joy or begin to press in and pray that that thing that you feel would be broken or if it's good, that it would be released and it would spread into the rows behind you and the rows in front of you, that it would get on the person next to you because this is how we come together in agreement and we see the atmosphere changed, amen? 
So that was my testimony that I wanted to share. I thought, man, it was just profound. It was super cool, and I love how God does things like that. Uh, I am so honored and thankful to be a part of a body of believers that are willing to hear the Lord, but then willing to do what the Lord says. And uh, I believe that he is calling us to to that. So I wanna pray, and then we're gonna dive into what I wanna share today. I'm just gonna ask the Lord for some help, and uh, it's gonna be great. Father, I just bless you. I thank you for your help. I thank you that you are the helper. You sent the helper, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus told us that it was for our benefit that he goes away, because if he didn't go away, then he would not send the helper. But he is faithful and he is true. And he went away and he sent us the helper. And so Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place. I invite you into this room even more so. We ask you to come in a mighty way that you would reveal the heart of the Father to us, that you would reveal character and nature of God to us, and that we would actually grow more into the likeness and the image of Jesus. I thank you for helping me to speak words that uh, line up with your heart, that line up with your word, and I pray that you would help everyone in this room, including me, to have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying for us in this season. And so we bless you, and we thank you, and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Give me a good amen if you agree. Amen. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, I've got some things that are on my heart that I wanna share, and if you're taking notes, the title of the message today is, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is not a dress rehearsal. Um, I, I would just believe that God's been stirring some things on the inside of me, and, and just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of how I landed and why I'm sharing what I'm sharing, uh, back in March, I went on a trip into the mountains. And how many know that's where Jesus lives? Jesus lives in the mountains, he's here now, but he also lives in the mountains. Uh, Jesus constantly was escaping to the high place to pray, he was constantly getting away, and so this was my uh, opportunity, my intention was to get away with the Lord and just to just come to some places of agreement with the Spirit um, concerning some things that he was speaking to me. And quite honestly, there were some things that had been spoken over my life prophetically that I was just wrestling with believing. And I just needed to go to a place where I could just get confirmation and come into this confident place of believing that I could actually do the things that he has set for me to do. Amen, you ever been in one of those places where you just, you struggled with the word and so you just needed to go and just work through it with the Lord until you walked out of the place feeling like you were called and equipped to do the thing that he had sent you to do. And so this is my, this is my intention of going into the mountains and so I found this really, really cool place. I, I, I drove probably 10 miles of mountain roads, which is fantastic. Window down, cool mountain air. I did end up with a really bad sunburn on one arm because it was hanging out of the window and so that was always fun. Um, I find this place and I've got a great view. It's this big valley and this, this really cool drainage. I'm also there because like, I love elk hunting. I love the wildlife. And so I perched myself in a position where hopefully I would see wildlife. And so I, I, I kind of set up my, my, my truck there and just with the intention of listening to the, to the Lord, worshiping, praying, reading my Bible, shooting my bow because you know that's a spiritual act as well. And I just was in and out of all of these things, and I feel like the Lord sent me uh, into Ezekiel chapter 33. And so I wanna read just a portion of this, just to give you a background of why I feel led to share what I'm gonna share today. And so Ezekiel 33 verse one, it says, again the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, 
when I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, he did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. I want you to remember that. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the, tr and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Verse seven. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, that is the people of God. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and you shall warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall surely die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we live? Say to them, this is verse 11, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? I wanna repeat verse seven really quick. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall, say, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. This is kind of my motivation for today. I feel like uh, in this moment of being in the mountains, the Lord was just saying, Cody, I've assigned you for a reason like this. I have given you eyes to see. I have given you ears to hear. I have given you ability to discern seasons and what is going on in the body. And so I need you to take the word seriously when I speak it to you. And so today I am coming with what I feel like is warning. So if, you, if you'll bear with me, I'm not gonna step all over your feet, just maybe a little bit on your toes a tiny bit, amen? But we're tough. We're strong in the Lord and the power of his might, amen? It's apparent to me, maybe now more than ever in my lifetime, my short lifetime, that God is, God is calling and he is searching for people that will come in. People that will come into him, people that will come into his kingdom people that are not visitors of his kingdom, people that are not passerbys of his kingdom, but people that would come and they would actually remain with the Lord in his kingdom. This is what I, I feel the Lord doing more and more every single day. He is beckoning and he is calling. He is pleading that we would come and be reconciled to him. This is part of what Mandy preached last week, that we would be reconciled to the Father. Uh, that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter five. And so I feel like that's where the Lord is right now. And he, and he has been for, for, for eternity, but I just feel it really, really strong, especially in light of some of the things that are going on in the world around us. I'm also very aware that the enemy is working extremely hard to 
distract us with everything under the sun because he understands that a connected and healed person is extremely powerful and valuable to the kingdom of God. And he also understands that a connected and healed person is an extreme threat to his plan of destruction. So I'm aware of both of these things and I just feel this, this burden this morning to just to go after some things uh, because we have to understand that there is spiritual warfare happening around us all of the time. We live in a natural state, we do natural things, we talk with our natural mouth, we listen with natural ears, we, everything around us we can see, we can feel, we can touch, but there is a world around us, there is a, a sphere around us that is spiritual, and it is waging war every single day, every single moment. It's in the randomness of your thoughts that bring insecurity and fear into your life. That's spiritual warfare. It's uh, in the conversations that maybe you shouldn't partake in and you know better, but you do anyways. That's spiritual warfare. It's, it's all around. It's in the, the constant um, uh, uh, place of, of feeling like you're not enough. It's this process of the enemy to talk you out of who Jesus is because he knows that if he can keep you in a place of disconnection and brokenness, that he knows that he has you and you're no threat to him, and then you become no value to the people around you, right? You can't give away something that you don't have. So he wants to keep you in a place of not having so that you will never give it away. We've got to understand spiritual warfare is this happening. But the beauty of it is, is that those who are in Christ Jesus, we have the victory, these people over here, they believed me. <laughs> if we're in Christ Jesus, we have the victory. Yeah. There you go. I just teed it up for you a little bit better. So anyways, y'all are fine. You're doing fantastic. I just want you to understand as I share this that my heart is not coming from a place of, of condemnation in any way, shape, or form. I, I feel like I'm sharing this because I, I'm just, I feel concerned. And so uh, I pray that you would hear that heart as I share this. Uh, I mentioned that in 2 Corinthians chapter five when Paul was talking about being reconciled to the Father, it says that we, he said we plead with you. Like strong language. What's that new term that they're using, dramatic language? Y'all heard of that? Like this dramatic talk that's coming out of teen, never mind, I have a teenager and sometimes she uses dramatic language, never mind. Um, He's saying, I plead with you to be reconciled to the Father. There was urgency in Paul for people to actually come to God. When the Roe versus Wade thing was handed out and, and, and this dramatic shift happened in our country and this huge victory uh, for the unborn came to life, which, which if you weren't celebrating that, have a conversation with the Lord. Uh, but I started praying that we would become sober-minded as people. That in the days coming, that as a body of Christ, we would be sober-minded as we think about things. That even people that aren't inside of the body of Christ, that they would be sober-minded, that we would choose to think on a higher level than waiting for the world to give us the way that we should think and then hashtag everything that they hashtag too. And so I've just been praying, Lord, so sober us up in our thinking. Sober us up in the way that we live. Sober us up in the way that we're going after you. And this is a big deal. I believe that the Lord is calling us to be fully present 
And that is what I believe sober-mindedness is, to be fully present with the Lord and fully present with the world around you, amen? So I wanna jump into some scripture in Matthew chapter 22 is where we're gonna end, where we're gonna land uh, for a little bit. In Jesus' ministry, you see Jesus share in parables, but you also see Jesus talk to religious people. And if you read your Bible very much, you'll see that Jesus kind of diced the religious people up with his words. Jesus like a ninja. Like, he's like, they're coming to him, they're asking questions, and he is just, just cutting them to pieces really fast. I see, it like, I see it like one of those chefs at a Japanese restaurant that are moving their hands so fast that you don't even know if they're holding utensils anymore. That's kind of the way that Jesus spoke to the religious people of the day. He just would just cut them to pieces and then just watch them fall apart. This is what's happening in Matthew chapter 22. And I love this about Jesus. He was always setting them straight uh, when they came with him in their arrogance. Secret, I always wanted to be one of those chefs. Like I always wanted to be able to throw the egg up in the air and just catch it with a spatula and it cracks perfectly and then I just dispose of the, the shell. Anyway. Lord Jesus, help us. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, I'm going to start in verse, verse 1. I'm going to go to verse 14. It says, And Jesus spoke, I'm sorry, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent on his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good, I mean, sorry, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the, his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This parable is called the parable of the wedding feast, and it describes the kingdom of heaven. And we see this king who has arranged this marriage for his son. And this is representative of the father who has prepared this marriage. Mandy preached uh, uh, about this, here comes the bride, this, this 
idea of this marriage covenant that we have with the Lord Jesus. And this, this parable is telling this story. How Jesus, how the Father has sent out this invitation for years and years and years and years for people to actually come to this wedding party, for people to actually come to this wedding ceremony because he has arranged them to be united in covenant, spiritual covenant with his son, Jesus. This is all telling uh, of what is going on. It says, but the people were not willing to accept the invitation. The people were not willing to accept the invitation. This invitation that was extended to anyone and everyone. Finally, it says that he invited the, the bad and the good. He just went out on the highways and he went out on the byways, just all of these different places. He just started inviting people in. And one by one, there were people that just began to make excuses. They were preoccupied with life. We've all been in that place of being preoccupied with life. One said, he's got to go to his farm. The other said, I've got business to attend to. In other words, I can't come, it's fishing season. I can't come, I really appreciate the invitation into the kingdom, but man, it's hunting season. I really appreciate it, but see, I work six days a week and, and, and the seventh day is my rest day, and so I can't come and join myself in the congregation like the word tells me to. I told you I was just gonna step on your toes a little. Listen, I'm not knocking fishing season. I'm not knocking hunting season or the day of rest that you need. I'm not knocking your cows and your donkeys on your farm. Bless your cows and bless your donkeys. But the issue is, I feel like a lot of our problem becomes when our options become more appealing than the kingdom of God. I think that options and having so many options, especially in this area that we live where uh, when the economy is booming, we have more than enough a lot of times, that means that we have more options. I believe that options are stunning the growth of so many people in the kingdom of God. Because when you start slowly but surely picking the option rather than the kingdom, it becomes easier to not pick the kingdom, I mean it becomes easier to pick the option over the kingdom and that is when we have a massive problem. And now we're being, now we're, we're talking about visitors and passerbys. This is what I'm seeing in the, in the kingdom of God. Now we have visitors and passerbys that are going into their place of influence and they're recreating visitors and passerbys because options are silencing growth in the lives of so many believers. The Lord is so thankful and he is the provider of your options, but you're not designed to serve your option, you're designed to serve him. And you just have options on the side, right? The Lord should be the main option. This king sent his servants to gather these people and like I said, they, they reject his invitation so he ends up with this wedding hall filled with both bad and good people and then there seems to be this one person in this whole parable that gets highlighted. And so we're gonna go back into verse 11. It says, but when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. 
Uh-oh. And then the king said to the servants, bind him in hand and foot, take him away, cast him into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's said that the custom in this moment would have been for all of those people that were just invited from the highways, the, the people that were both good and the people that were bad, it says that they would have been invited in, but before they came into the actual wedding hall, they would have had an opportunity to change into a wedding garment. They would have been given this opportunity to change out of their street clothes and into this wedding garment. And this would be symbolizing them changing from living a life of destruction into a life of living in such a way where they hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what this changing of garments is. Changing from the street clothes would have been uh, like, uh, and changing into the wedding garment would have been like replacing pride and arrogance and rebellion and, um, and sin for righteousness. It would have been them stripping off arrogance and stepping into humility. It would have been them stripping off sin and stepping into the righteousness of Jesus. It would have been them stepping out of something and putting on something, obedience and repentance to the Lord. This scripture is, this, this moment of changing is, it's, it's telling us that we should be putting on the Lord Jesus. Right, the old is gone, the new has come when we make Jesus our Lord and Savior. And he's talking about this. And in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, it says this. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. In other words, change out of your street clothes and put on the wedding garment and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to, f to fulfill its lust. This man that came in to the wedding ceremony without the wedding garment on. He chose this for himself. You have to understand that. He was a part of this group of people that were just invited in this off of the highways and he's brought in and just like everyone else, he had this opportunity to change out of what he was wearing, to strip off the old person and step into the new person, to strip off the strife and put on the Lord Jesus, to strip off the pride and put on the Lord Jesus, yet he chose not to. That's, that's the interesting part of this. He took the invitation of the wedding and he took the invitation of the king very, very lightly. Charles Spurgeon, he had this quote about this man at the wedding feast and it's, it's quite something. It says, in, in this act of rebellion, he went as far in opposition as they did who did not come at all. Think about this man. And he went a little further for in the very presence of the guests and of the king, he dared to declare his disloyalty and contempt. I wanna be honest with you. We all are subject, or let me rephrase this. We're all, Lord help me with words. 
we can all fall into the same place as this man. That's really what I'm trying to say. We can all fall into this place where, you notice who he's talking to. He's talking to religious people when he gives this parable. These are people that know the scripture. These are people that, that do the deeds. These are people that have all of these things, yet they haven't put on the new garment. They haven't put on the wedding garment. They're still carrying around their pride and they're still carrying around their arrogance. It's in the way that they lead and it's in the way that they love. He's talking to them. These are people that would probably, if you asked them, say, are you a resident of heaven? And they would say, yes, because of the things that I know and the things that I do and my stature. And Jesus is saying, I'm comparing you in all of your knowledge that is puffed up, I am comparing you to a man who came into the wedding feast, who came and the bride was coming and it was Jesus, and all of a sudden there is this moment where the father has to say, depart from me because I never knew you. He is comparing this man to those people that just have a bunch of head knowledge. We don't talk about that very often. There are a group of people that on that day the Lord will have to tell them, you don't get to come in because I actually never knew you. What a terrible gut-wrenching thing for the father to have to say. After thousands of years of extending an invitation and, and, and asking and beckoning for people to come in his house, that his house may be full, that they would remain with him, that they would just live in this place that he designed them for, to, to, for them to live, which is in this place of intimacy and purity with him. And they have chosen other things day in and day out. How terrible will it be for the father's heart to have to say, you don't get to be with me forever. The, world, the word tells us that we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Meaning, we have to stay in this place of humility and we have to stay in this place of living in reverence to the Lord. That's what he was saying. We have to keep our heart right. We have to believe correctly. We have to be sober-minded in this season. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You don't have this. I'm just going to read it to you. This is when Samuel was actually going to anoint a king out of Jesse's uh, sons. And, it's, and the Lord told him, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. I haven't chosen that one. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Proverbs 4.23, God tells us, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. The word guard your heart is the same word used in Ezekiel 33 as watchman. You're designed to be a watchman for your own heart. That means that you blow the trumpet the moment the threat comes. It doesn't mean that you tolerate it and you wait till it's close enough to touch you, then you blow the trumpet, it's too late. It doesn't mean that you entertain temptation. No, when it starts coming, you start sounding the alarms, meaning you start, you start stripping off the old man as fast as you can, and you start declaring the things that will clothe you in the Lord Jesus. That is what guarding your heart looks like. It's standing on the rooftop every single day on the wall watching to find out if something coming to me that's going to cause me to actually make a choice for the option and not a choice for the kingdom. 
We have to guard our hearts. We can't tolerate things any longer. We cannot be visitors. We cannot be passerbys. We have to become watchmen. This is not a dress rehearsal. And Jesus is coming back. This isn't our trial run. I can hear the Father calling for sons and daughters to come home. Come home to me and your hearts. Come home to me and your deeds. Come home to me in the way that you live your entire life. Come home. I want to lead you with this and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. This is in the message translation. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. This is an invitation from Jesus to you. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The Lord is asking you, will you remain with me? This is my invitation. I want you to remember you're born for greatness. But more than that, you were born for Jesus. You were born for the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.